does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you, Ryan Treasure. Wonderful voice for my intro. I'm Bonnie D. in the house, and I'll tell you that today I'm going to do a poem for my monologue, and I didn't write it myself, even though I am a poet and I know it. I asked ChatGPT to take my usual monologue, my opening text, and write a poem for us. So I'm doing full disclosure. I had help with this. I did a little bit of editing, but I want my guests, I'll introduce you all in the poem, I want your, to see your facial expressions of whether you like this or not. Okay, so here we go. In the realm where knowledge and machines unite, we continue our journey. Oh, what a sight. See, it rhymes. Futurists, we've summoned a discussion so keen, exploring the fusion of AI in the education scene. So far, so good. Beyond robots in classrooms, we dare to aspire to grasp real-world impacts to light knowledge's fire. Personalized learning, the human touch we won't forego, liberating teachers' times, let their wisdom freely flow. Student engagement, a dynamic learning sphere where AI's magic makes it all crystal clear. Bob Ficken, raise your hand and wave when I call you Bob Ficken. Karen Gibson, Dr. Danielle Harkins, in tow, you're here, with Eric Myers and Brian Romley. Wisdom they bestow. The future of education and AI, the title I decree. Robot substitute teachers, part two, you'll see. Like Yoda's sage advice, we gather round to discern. Pass on what you've learned. Together we yearn. So join me now. Let's explore and discuss in this fusion of minds, in knowledge we trust, the future of education, AI, and more in this grand quest for wisdom. Together we'll explore. If you liked it, applaud. What'd you think, kids? Not bad, huh? Not bad at all. I thought that was really, let me just quick go around the table and ask what you think. Bob, did you like it? I thought it was great. Okay. Karen, what'd you think? I loved it. Very creative. <laughs> Danielle? Excellent. Very fun. <laughs> well, of course, it's all in the reading, you understand. Brian, what'd you think? It was the delivery. Uh, I think without your delivery, it would have been a little flat. <laughs> okay. Eric, what do you think? I second what everyone else was already mentioning. Well done, especially for the delivery there, Bonnie. <laughs> Thank you very much. I love to do a good cold read. No, I did not rehearse that. So welcome, everybody. I will tell you in my own language that we had such a good time, and we had so many topics still to cover on the future of education and AI a couple of months ago that I've invited back this stellar panel. No, I don't usually have five, but they're all so good. I couldn't say bye-bye to anybody. And they all said, sure, we'd love to come back. So that's the human part of what we're doing. Bye. Bob Ficken, you're up first. Bob, let's do a quick refresh on your bio. You've been on a couple shows with me this year already. But Bob, I did the math. I did the math for all of you, actually. There are only 14.3275 people in the world who don't remember you, any of you, Danielle, Eric, Brian, Karen, and Bob. So would you please do a quick two-minute, not the full three-minute, two-minute bio update. What have you been up to? Why are you still excited about this topic? What are you doing here? Bob Ficken, I'm putting you on speaker view. Welcome back. Nice to be here. Nice to see everybody. 
I'm still the Chief HR Officer for the Ask HR Consultancy. I'm also a professor that's been teaching at several universities for 25, almost 30 years now. Uh, I remember when we actually studied by candlelight. So yes, I'm a baby boomer. Uh, very fascinated by AI. I think it's going to completely change the world of education as we know it. Thank you very much. Did you have a good summer? Did you do any teaching for the summer, Bob? I did do some teaching. Also took a long Harley ride. Went to uh, the Daytona, Florida Bike Week. Nice. Went to Yellowstone on the way back and had a great trip. Whoa, very, very cool. Teaching in the summer. Yes, the question is, when do we want kids to start back? And with virtual learning, will there ever be a vacation, summer or not? That's another topic altogether. Karen Gibson, welcome back. I know you're in Hawaii. I'm not sure ever how to pronounce that. I know there's an apostrophe before the second I. And I hope I hope things have settled a little bit and are getting a little better in Maui, some recent fire disasters. I know you're not there, but Karen, sending good wishes to people in your state. Karen, update us. What have you yeah. been up to? Well, I actually used AI in uh, in Japan. I went to Japan. I have an eight-year-old nephew, and I thought, why not? You know, like the um, just the education aspect. And I also been using AI as a parent coach. Like, how do I tell my son that I'm taking the car keys away? It was amazing, <laughs> and you have to do it without, you know, conflict, without the you know the proper tone, like you're delivering another poem. And I think AI and parenting. I actually did a session with a London fellow parent coach, um, and we are educating parents on using AI as a parent resource. Very, very interesting. Are the parents excited, enthusiastic, optimistic, frightened? Can you put one or two characteristics on the overall reaction you're getting, Karen? Very optimistic, hopeful, and excited because they're realizing they just have to put it in and it's, you know, 15, um, opportunities to just have a conversation or solve their problems just pop up. It's like a 24 seven um, resource. There you go. Coach, consultant, educator, sidekick, you name it. Thank you, Karen. Dr. Danielle Hankins, welcome back. Let's hear from you. What have you been up to? Thank you for having me. So just a refresh, I am an educational psychologist here in the state of California. I specialize in cognitive and neurocognitive assessment of learning disabilities and brain differences in students and learners. This summer, I did teach two courses online, and I spent a lot of time consulting with K-12 public education systems about how they can use AI, and, uh, you know, that went really interestingly. Uh, there's a lot of insular thinking in some of those systems right now, and they're going to be slow to move. But I think that a lot of teachers, uh, educators are more excited about the functional use of it and hopeful for the future. I think that the biggest hang up right now that we're seeing is the academic integrity piece and being very obsessed with labeling using AI as plagiarism. And we just need to shift that focus so really just collaborating with education systems, telling them that AI is a partner, you know, friend, not foe, and just training up those lines of communication so that all of these students can feel safe and not vilified if they're going to use it to help them. Like you said, brainstorm, <laughs> because, you know, we can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? It's here. 
very, very well put, and it's minty and fresh, and it's probably going to be good for us. Uh, a comment on what you said, Danielle, very interesting. Back in the day, and only a couple people on this panel will know what I'm talking about, we used to have something called an encyclopedia. My parents bought the World Book. Eric, you're way too young. Stop nodding. And there was the Britannica. And we used to go to the either the library, the school library, public library, or if you had it at home, if you could afford it. And we would open a page and it would say, oh, the solar system. Oh, uh, Archimedes. Oh, um, World War One, whatever it was. And we would look stuff up. How many kids resisted, Danielle and everybody, resisted the temptation to sit there and write exactly what was on that page. And did the teacher say, oh my God, page number 953 in book 42. Well, there are only 26 letters in the alphabet. Book number 27, page number 97.3 in the, in the Britannica. You cheated. I'm throwing you out of my class. Seriously, we went to the library. There were microfish, right? We, we copied, we used knowledge to help our own learning. We've been doing this all along. Now people can track it. Oh my God, hey, I did that. Listen. So it's 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 probably the same thing. I'm gonna use a French phrase that's one of my favorites, Daniel. Plus I change, plus la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But people didn't know. People didn't know. We were always using knowledge, like Yoda said, you know, pass it on, use it. So that's just my little philosophical take. Daniel, thank you very much. Eric Myers, you're up next. Welcome back. Talk to us. What's new with you? Well, thank you so much for having me back, Bonnie. It's great to see everyone again. Uh, happy to report that it's been a fantastic summer. All too short, though. Uh, so what have I been up to? Well, I continue, I've been continuing to teach throughout the summer. Uh, so like Danielle was teaching a few online classes. Uh, so really looking forward to kind of getting back to a regular routine in that face-to-face in-person delivery. Uh, what most excites me about today's conversation, or part two of our AR, AI chat, is really kind of the polarization we're seeing with, within AI and post-secondary or even in all educational systems. We have some that are going to be really against the use of AI that are holding, you know, firm and saying this can't happen. They're fighting all against all things AI. And we have others who are a lot more open and accommodating to the world of AI that we're living in. So I just find this whole conversation very, very fascinating and just seeing, you know, what this is going to lead to as far as just the dynamic within not just post-secondary, but all education settings. So very much looking forward to the conversation today. Thank you very much. Anything fun you, you can dare to report to us about your summer, Eric? <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I know we have a New York, uh, you know, background here. So I had the pleasure of going out to New York uh, for about four or five days at the end of June. And I always love the opportunity to, you know, hit up the Big Apple. So uh, a tremendous, you know, vacation there and, you know, looking forward to my next uh, return to the to the big city. Thank you very much. My stomping grounds. I'm a Long Island girl. I could still I say, just girl. Say. say girl. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be quite an adventure. My friends and I, when we were in high school, we'd get all dressed up and we'd take the 
the bus, the Q4 bus from Queens to Jamaica, and we'd take the subway into the city, and then we'd go to a concert or a museum, and I remember my shoes always hurt. I always tried new shoes, and what a mistake. You, you never want to go anywhere with new shoes, especially when you're walking miles in the city, and it was just a lovely adventure, and it was always just a happy time to go into the city and do something special. So I remember, good to keep that open mind. Brian Romley, welcome back. Come on, tell us, what have you been up to? Well, Bonnie, absolute honor and privilege to be here again, and welcome to the panel again. Uh, it has been an interesting summer. Uh, I did a lot of work in personal AI models, and uh, we're trying to build models for specific domains of uh, expertise. And lately been working with a few corporations to have models specifically about their corporate structure, all of their information. So that's been keeping me busy. I too uh, made it to New York. Uh, we had an interview uh, that took place at TBN. And so I spent a week out there and it was very interesting to be a tourist in New York rather than being a Jersey kid taking uh, the subway. So I've been doing that and uh, doing a lot of consulting. Uh, talked to quite a few educators, actually. And uh, hopefully we're going to see a shift and not fear because the fear is not going to help anybody. As Danielle said, uh, in this case, the horse has left the barn. So let's just try to ride the horse and see if we can be stronger. Toothpaste is out of the tube. Thank you very much. Brian, I'm noticing when I put you on gallery view, I'm going to do it again. I'm pointing out there are several books that have the spine so we can see the titles. And there are three that stand out to me. One is if you move your head to your left, just a drop, we have Future Shock, The Third Wave. Is that Alvin Toffler up there? Yes, he would know. Autographed. Oh, yep. very nice. Then we have a spy book somewhere over on the other side of your head. I'm not sure what that's about. And then we have Carl Sagan. Think about the story that those three spines are telling us about your reading, about what we're talking about today. Carl Sagan and the, the galaxies and the stars and the universe out there. Future Shock, we are there now. Spy book, well... Maybe we think AI is you know what on us. So, <laughs> Brian, I don't know if you realize you had a tableau behind you. I don't know if you did that on purpose or is that just the way the bookcase is all the time? Which, uh, what do I, which one? The, the three of them, the Future Shock, the Carl Sagan and the Spy oh. Book. Is, is that there all the time? Uh, yes, pretty much until I pull them out and read them. I try to recycle <laughs> the books, open them up. But uh, I think Future Shock is so uh, apropos to what we're, dealing with right now because uh, Alvin Toffler saw that the information explosion was going to essentially drown us. And AI is an, maybe an antidote to that. Having a mm. personal AI to filter this onslaught of information that's unfortunately a high degree of noise to signal, you know, because uh, a channel can only be filled up with so much signal and noise. And right now the noise level is higher than we've ever seen in a history. Uh, recorded history. So Thank AI could you. help us. I'm complimenting you on your background tableau that you didn't even know was going to be part of the show. So there you go, Brian. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Very, very interesting. That's a lesson for all of us and what we put in our backgrounds. Let's go to the part of the show where we have quotes. Yes, I've asked them all for a fictional quote from a movie or TV character or a song lyric. And let's do this really, really, as I say in French, vite, vite, quickly, Bob Ficken, I'm asking you to talk about the quote you sent me from Ilsa Faust, played by an actress named Rebecca Ferguson. 
Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 2023 American spy action film. She is a disavowed M16 agent, or is it MI6? MI6 agent who allied with Ethan Hunt. Oh my goodness. Tom Cruise's team in Rogue Nation and Fallout. And here is the phrase. It's one, two, seven words. Always good to have a short quote, Bob. The world is changing. Truth is vanishing. Oh my, two minutes, Bob. What does this have to do with our topic or your POV on it? Go ahead. Well, as as we all know, and you know, the problem with generative AI at least is the fact that when it runs out of facts, it can make up its own reality. And uh, you know, it may or may not be true, may have some truth, may have no truth. You know, and it can be difficult sometimes when you run in a prompt to discern the truth from what AI just decided to input you know, from its perspective and point of view and everything that it's gathered in the way of information and all that. So it really poses a challenge for us. Certainly does. What is the truth? What is a what is a, a photoshopped something that we're not sure who really was or was not in the picture? And yes, all of those. We, we've been doing this for years. We just wasn't called AI, right, Bob? Well, I mean, you think about, it, will we ever be able to look at a photo in the future and think it's real? I know, I know. It's real to us at the moment we see it, and it's what kind of reality we imbue to it through our perception or our cultural background, whatever we see. Okay, we'll leave that one alone. That's a whole other topic. We're coming up with part three and part four here. Karen Gibson sent us a quote from Yet to Come, The Most Beautiful Moment, song by the South Korean boy band BTS from just last year, 2022. It's the lead single from Proof, their first anthology album. And the title refers to the most beautiful moment in life series, a.k.a. H-Y-Y-H, of course, we've got to make it short here, the era, short films with a storyline through 20 interconnected music videos. And this song was one of three new tracks on the album. I won't read anymore. Uh, here we go. The quote is, was it honestly the best? Because I just want to see the next. Oh, Karen, that's it. I think Eric knows the quote. Karen, go ahead. Talk to it. You want to sing a little or you want to play a little for us, Karen? Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, Go ahead. I think that it's a very appropriate quote because I think the best is yet to come. I think once we are open-minded and we welcome, I think everyone is saying that, you know, it's nothing to fear. I love how um, we all are on the same page, that the best is yet to come with technology. There's so many pluses, more than minuses, and we are um, on our way to just revolutionizing how we, you know, think, how we um, educate, how we parent, how we do life how we do life. You mentioned the best is yet to come. And I have a guest in two weeks who's using that quote from a Frank Sinatra song, which is interesting because Cy Coleman wrote the song, but not for Frank Sinatra. He wrote it for Tony Bennett and Frank Sinatra recorded it and made it very, I think it was his, when he did it live, it was his last live performance before he passed. Interesting. Thank you, Karen. Let's go to Danielle, Dr. Danielle. Here is the quote. You sent a quote from Dare You to Move, song by the American rock band Switchfoot. I'd never heard of them. From their 2000 album, <sighs> Learning to Breathe. There's that word learning in there. Uh, I have a quote here from uh, about how they got their name. Let's see. We all love to surf and we've been surfing all our lives. So to us, the name Switchfoot for the band made sense. To switch your feet means to take a new stance facing the opposite direction. It's about change and movement, a different way of approaching life and music. And here's the quote from the song, Danielle. Welcome to the fallout. Welcome to resistance. The tension is here. 
The tension is here between who you are and who you could be, between how it is and how it should be. Ooh, Danielle, that's interesting. Eric just likes all these songs so much in these movies. He's just nodding all of these. He's seen everything and he's heard it. And you're going to have to sing this for us. Go ahead, Danielle. What, where'd you find this? And talk to me. So I just think that it's timely, right? The tension is here, right? There's people on both sides of this argument that really think that, you know, AI is here, right? And we have to figure out how we're going to live with it. And I really liked uh, the end of the quote, how it talks about who you are and who you could be, right? So how can AI develop us into these creative creatures? And it's endless. And, you know, the second part is maybe a little bit for the naysayers, how it is and how it should be. Well, you may think that it should be a certain way, but right now this is how it is. So, and I think that the band really, even I didn't know about how they got their name, but if you just think about that, you know, we're going in, we're swimming upstream, we're in the opposite direction in the moment of tension right now, trying to figure out what we're going to do with AI. So I really thought that it was that grappling moment. It really encapsulated how everyone's kind of navigating this right now. I like the word grappling. Thank you very, very much. Eric Myers has sent a quote that's a little bit long. It's a, it's a, um, Let's see, it's from a song, but I put it in verse form. It's from the song Snow, Hey O, 2006 song by American band Red Hot Chili Peppers. And interestingly enough, this song was used a lot. The quote from Anthony Caedus in the band is, the track is about surviving, starting fresh. I made a mess of everything. I have a blank slate, a canvas of snow, and I want to get over, start over. Uh, it was the official theme. One of the official themes from WWE WrestleMania 24. I read those Roman numerals very well. It was used in Scrubs, the TV show, part episode, a sub two-part episode, My Finale. It was in the end credits in Death Note, the last name. It was in a flashback scene in the cold case episode sabotage and it was used in brothers and sisters season one episode 23 i don't know if you knew all of that eric you probably did here is the line here's the long, long line from the song come to decide that the things that i tried were in my life just to get high on when i sit alone come get a little known but i need more than myself this time step from the road to the sea to the sky that's kind of interesting eric can you sing it for me eric uh, I, I, as much as I want to, I'll give my voice a little bit of a rest for later on in the podcast. So maybe for part three, I'll have to. You know, uh, there you go. You, you just you got go. invited back. Let's do it. <laughs> How did you find this? Talk to me. Yeah, so two parts uh, as to why I wanted to use uh, the snow song from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, so the first is, you know, being from Canada, I got to represent my home country. I got to, you know, show my Canadian pride. And for those who are familiar with Canada, it's very cold. Uh, it's usually covered in snow for eight to nine months throughout the year. Uh, so that's the first and foremost. So I got to, you know, represent my Canadian roots. Uh, the second is, and if we go a little bit further with the lyrics of starting from scratch and almost a blank slate, I think AI, you know, really represents an opportunity for us as educators, for our students, for other constituents to really have a fresh start, to really see how we can help the next generation of students, how we can think outside the box, how, do, how can we think creative, you know, from a creative sense? So that to me is why, you know, that song and those lyrics really resonated to me. And for this conversation is, you know, embracing, you know, something that on the surface might seem cold and unbearable, but can really provide us with a lot of opportunities and is really, you know, beautiful at the end of the day. 
Thank you very much. I like the way you ended that. Beautiful at the end of the day. Isn't that what we're all hoping for with all of this whole conversation, that education will be beautiful again or maybe for the first time, that kids will love to learn, teachers will love to teach. What a thought, and learning will be beautiful again. Thank you for that optimism, Mr. Myers. Brian, you have sent us a quote from Dr. Eleanor Ellie Arroway, played by the wonderful, the iconic, the forever Jodie Foster. The movie is Contact, going way back to 1997. It's a sci-fi drama directed by Robert Zemeckis, based on a 1985 novel by Carl Sagan, who wrote the story outline for the film with his wife, Anne Druyan. And Dr. Eleanor Arroway is a SETI, S-E-T-I, scientist who finds evidence of... Extraterrestrial, I hope I'm allowed to say it, extraterrestrial life, and is chosen to make first contact. The movie has a, a cast that's unbelievable Matthew McConaughey, James Wood, Tom Skerritt, William Fitchner, John Hurt, Angela Bassett, Rob Lowe, Jake Busey, David Morris. Oh my goodness gracious, it was filmed all over the place with lots of observatories. I won't go into the background of the movie, but it was fascinating. Uh, directors were fired, producers were fired, new ones were hired, it went back and forth from one studio to the other, and it got made. Here is the quote, you're all going to love this, science fiction, you're right, it's crazy. In fact, it's even worse than that, it's nuts. You want to hear something really nutty? I heard of a couple guys that want to build something called an airplane? You know, you get people to go in and fly around like birds? It's ridiculous, right? And what about breaking the sound barrier or rockets to the moon? I don't usually let my voice go up that high, Brian, but it seemed appropriate for the reading. Brian, <laughs> great quote. Talk to me. Wow. Uh, I think it's indicative of the challenges that we all face, especially those that are trying to present this subject to folks that maybe didn't have the bandwidth to understand how it's going to impact their life in AI. Um, I think it comes off sounding like sci-fi, even to the people who have tried ChatGPT a few times. But once you've really dove into it, um, you start really understanding there's a lot more to this than we could possibly think. And we're just at the precipice of it starting. So what is it going to look like a year from now? I mean, look what just a few months have brought. I mean, it was not on most people's radar screen this time last year. And uh, this time next year, it's going to be deeply integrated within society. And some people are making what I consider are the right decisions. And others think it's it's still sci-fi. It's going to cause a lot more uh, confusion than what it's worth. And they're gripping to the past in hopes that somehow everything reverses itself. And I think uh, Ellie did such a great, and the character did such a great job trying to project that resistance that we constantly see when we're uh, facing something new and challenging. Thank you very much. Thank you all for the fascinating quotes from the movies, from the songs. I, I always learn a lot. And I love to do the research. Very, very appreciated that you all sent me new quotes for this part, too. That's part of the part of the deal. You come back, you send a new quote. Let's go to our predictions now. I've already put two. One and two are short from Bob Fick, and I'm going to combine them, Bob. So I tell you what, you take two to three minutes, Max, and you all know the deal. I don't know how many fingers you all have on your hands. I've got 10, but you've got a nice finger, one of them, one of the nice, polite fingers. Wiggle a finger at me if you want to comment on Bob's predictions, okay? If there's no nothing, I will have already put something in the chat for Karen. I'll pick some of your predictions. Um, I'm not going to force anybody to comment, but if, if anybody has any, that's just fine, and let's keep it moving along. So, Bob, you're up first. Bob sent the following two predictions, and I think they go together. Listen up. Within 10 years, now here we are where? 
It's uh, just after Labor Day, the week of Labor Day, U.S. holiday 2023. So within 10 years, every student will have a customized and individualized learning plan. And here's the corollary to the second one. By 2035, which is 12 years away, Bob, 90% of today's classrooms will no longer be needed, replaced by AI and VR. I think those go together nicely. Bob, take it away. Well, uh, you know, it's just one of those fascinating things as we've been learning, you know, when you get into AI and you get into the use of virtual reality goggles and things like that, we already know just from many studies that have been done by teaching associations and other experts in the education realm that every student learns differently. And when you start adding things like AI and virtual reality, that difference is going to become even more monumental. And so what's going to happen in the world of education, and we've already seen articles about this supporting it, that every student is going to have to have an individualized, customized plan. Because when you start combining three or more senses in the learning process, you know, every student learns differently, and that's going to spread that out. We're going to have to make sure that we customize it to their learning ability. So it's going to require more teachers, more teaching assistants. Some of what will help is the fact that the birth rates for the last 10 years have fallen to 1.6, which is less than zero population growth, which means that there won't be as many students in school, and that will help uh, come up with the resources the schools need to create those individualized plans. And then as far as not needing classrooms in, in 10, 12 years, I think that, as you put down, Bonnie, that just goes hand in hand when you get to the point where students can go online, use AI and their their virtual reality goggles and actually watch dinosaurs roam or watch Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address live, we're gonna impact three or more senses, which is gonna drive retention from the 30th percentile to the 70th percentile. The amount of learning that's gonna take place is gonna be incredible. And anybody have any comments? I'll tell you what, I'm going to move to Karen's predictions, which are a spinoff or an extension of what Bob said. So let me read those, and that's how we'll continue this. Karen says in her prediction two, AI will challenge students by providing them with more challenging tasks as they make progress and suggest resources that help students become their best selves. And she adds, AI can be used to track student behavior and performance to understand which topics need more attention and which topics they find easier. Interesting. Karen, go ahead. Well, as a, I was a former special ed teacher, and I think the, the most challenging part of it was understanding their behavior, trying to motivate them, tracking their performance, because it truly is difficult to individualize. You know, without, I mean, now with AI, I think it would be so much easier to find out how to motivate kids. I have kids who are cutting class, who don't find value in school. So I love the way that Bob was saying that the whole, um, you know, virtual aspect of kids would love it because they can actually see, like you said, Lincoln delivering that, you know, um, address and just not having to sit in class, looking at the teacher writing on the blackboard. So I think um, when they are challenged in the way, you know, their, their primary learning style and just their, their love language and just the way that each individual um, person learns, it'll change the way that education is today. And I think that um, a lot of kids will actually learn to like education. Right now, a lot of them, a lot of my students want 
to quit school and they're in fourth grade. They don't see the value of education because they feel that what they're learning is not necessary. And it's really sad when you have a nine-year-old saying, I'm done, you know, wow. <laughs> or kindergarten saying, this is ridiculous. When am I going to use this, Miss Karen? You know, and it's, um, and they're five, you know, so I think we need to change the way that we educate so that students look forward, you know, they look forward to going to class instead of um, cutting class. Mm -hmm. And what better way, I think, to, to track student behavior and performance, you know, through AI. I've never heard kids that young saying, why, what am I going to do with this? We all know when you get to certain high school math classes, people say, mm -hmm. what do I need this for? Am I ever going to sit around and do high level calculus or, or, you know, my X's and Y's and the, yes, you will. You'd just be surprised when in real life, it's all going to come back and you're going to need it. That's, I don't know whether that's shocking or sad, Karen. The kids are saying, why should I be learning this? So to start making education fun and interesting, personal. That's what it is, to be creative. Because what I teach and I make, you know, I use like squishy balls, right? I use lotion and you use the five senses. You're like, why don't the teachers do this in class? But I cannot imagine having, you know, squishy balls and lotion for 30 <laughs> kids or 20 something kids. It's different when it's one-on-one. -on -one. You might after this show. I don't know. You might get very, very, very popular. Let's bring in a gallon of that stuff for Miss Karen. We've got 50 kids waiting outside. Let's talk about the senses. There we go. Any comments, anyone? Anything? Eric, you look like you want to say something. No? Yeah, I'll just quickly jump in. <laughs> I want to go back to the initial part of Karen's prediction there. Something that she's mentioning that really stood out to me is to help kids be their best selves. I think, isn't that what we all want as educators at the end of the day? It doesn't matter if a kid is, you know, in fourth grade, fifth grade, or university graduate student, we want our students to be the best versions of themselves, because that'll make society as a whole better in the long run, too. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats. If your students are at their best, we as a society are going to be at our best as well. Thank you. Can you please say the word process for me, Eric? I want to hear your Canadian accent. Process. How's that? No, that's not how Canadians say it. They say process. <laughs> Come on. Process. It's all in the process. I'm sorry. All the I'm... process. <laughs> there you go. I feel better now. Yeah, you know, I could have talked like, like, you know, anyway, we won't do that. Thank you very much, Dr. Danielle Hankins. I picked prediction number three for you. This is interesting. You're talking about predicting resource recommendations. You say AI algorithms, there's that word some people are really afraid of and really mad at. AI algorithms will suggest supplemental materials, interventions, and resources aligned with students' learning interests and learning styles, enhancing comprehension, closing learning gaps, and engagement. I think we're all on the same theme here. But let's talk about specifically how the algorithms will do that, Danielle. Who is writing those algorithms and what are they actually doing? Talk to us. So when you're looking at a student who might be struggling in, in certain subjects, there are certain patterns of their behavior, right? So when you're looking at doing a super prompt for the pattern of behavior, all you have to do is input the manifestations that are happening in the classroom. And AI can provide evidence-based resources and supplemental recommendations that are direct links to websites, publications, evidence-based resources, 
that you can pull quickly to implement with that student. Within a matter of minutes, a teacher, a school psychologist, a intervention specialist, a special education teacher can input a couple of simple sentences into the prompt regarding you know, what the student is struggling with. Student presents with dysphonetic dyslexia, struggles with phonemic awareness, um, blending multisyllabic words. I know that this is a little bit of educational jargon, but these are these are words that we use typically a lot in the diagnostics in K-12 settings. I mean, that's one simple sentence. AI will generate a resource list with a plethora of websites that are evidence-based and research-based that you can implement right there with the student. Most of them are free. Mm. Uh, however, it would have taken a lot of uh, manpower to scour the internet for developmentally appropriate resources, age appropriate. Uh, you know, you might have a fifth grader that's working at a second grade level. You can't just pull the resources straight from the websites. Mm -hmm. And that would take a really long time, right? To say, this is this specific student's area of need. Tell me what I can use for them. And you can limit it, right? I just don't want any old website. I want an evidence-based intervention. I want a research-based intervention. And it will populate it for you. And it will do things, not just learning disabilities. It'll fill in neurocognitive things like executive functioning, right? The brain manager issue, behavioral issues, things like that with simple prompting from a school-based professional. There's that creative collaboration piece, right? AI doesn't know, but you tell it and you collaboratively work together to develop the plan for the student. So that is how this is gonna work. And, and, and in the past, this has taken hours of manpower from staff to figure it out. Very interesting, Danielle. Uh, I wanna make a point, but Brian, I was just pointed out by Karen that you had a comment on her prediction. So I'll get back to you, Brian, I apologize. Danielle, question is you want current opportunities for enhancement or for interventions, but let's look at where ChatGPT is Right now, I think it's frozen at November, December 2021. That's the extent of its database. You're not going to get that current philosophy, that current methodology or example or process. Thank you, Eric. Uh, you're not going to get any of that because, so the question is, I'm just going to throw this out to the panel. Should we be moving away from ChatGPT if it's LLM, large language model, stopped at a certain point? It has no access to the internet, to state-of-the-art, right-in-the-moment resources. Danielle, any comments on that? Should we be moving to a different model? So I'm going to say right now, no. And the reason why is education is slow to move toward evidence-based and research-based things. Okay. I would venture to say at present, we are looking at things within the last 10 years as acceptable interventions for students. So the research is slow to develop in some of these areas because there has to be multiple studies published. In addition to that, in order for something to be evidence-based or research-based for intervention or extension, we're going to need large subjects, uh, sample sizes. There needs to be multiple replication of that. So that research in the educational zeitgeist takes five to 10 years to be published and then put into work in public K-12. Public K-12, uh, sorry to speak to that specifically, but if we're talking about the youth of the nation, that's what we're looking at. They are working on that, that five to 10 years of things that have come out because that's all they have access to right now. So if we're looking at right now, how do I help a student with what's out there? 
AI can help you get to those resources in a more efficient way to implement them quickly, rather than you scouring the internet for the specific students um, needs. Because at present, we do not have that robust research base to provide something extremely new to a student. It actually takes a very long time to get educational research to grow some legs and for public K-12 to take the risk and say, we're actually going to go ahead and use this intervention. We need to be drawing from a database from things that have already been established. And that's about a five to 10 year research base right now. Thank so, you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. I had, I, I've learned, I've yearned to learn. Thank you very much. I've been taught. Any comments on that before I go back to Brian? We all good? Okay, Brian, talk to me, unmute. Talk about Karen's and anything about Danielle's as well. Go ahead. Yeah, both actually. Uh, with Karen, I was wondering, why are we seeing such a lack of desire to be educated? Is it because of social media? Is it other things? What's changed within the mindset that you've uh, you've found? Well, I just had a call yesterday from a second grade, um, second grader's mom, and they're having four hours of homework, which I've never heard of. A lot of the kids are so overwhelmed. He quit hip hop because he um, felt the need to do homework was more important than his passion. So I think a lot of these kids are saying, we already are working hard in the classroom. Why do we have to continue with homework? Some teachers are not doing homework anymore. They're saying, if you don't finish classwork, go ahead and you know finish it for homework. But kids are just so overwhelmed. They're burnt out. They're crying from stress. And they're, this is a second grader. So I was just so, um, I was just shocked yesterday hearing about that. It's sometimes four to five hours and you're in second grade. And when you look at the amount of time, it should be about, you know, roughly 10 minutes per grade. But you're thinking, you know, okay, maybe 30 minutes, some schools, but when you're, you know, missing your bedtime and having a shower break so that you can continue, it's, it's getting to be overwhelming. Shocked wow. and amazed. Wow. There ought to be a law against that. I'm sorry. There really should. No, that just so. seems wrong. Just absolutely wrong. Brian, any comments back on that? Uh, no, that is shocking. Uh, I don't see the value in making education become such a drudgery. And uh, I think to uh, Danielle's point also is, why wouldn't we want to bring about more of these resources within the educational system? What are the resistances that you're seeing having such an incredible resource? It's, it's almost like having the internet in the you know early 2000s and people saying, no, you gotta go to the library, don't find it online. What is the reason? Is it because it's new? I, I do think part of it's because it's new. And I think that when you're dealing with with systems and entities that are slow to change, they're, we've always done it this way, right? And then there's the bureaucratic red tape of, if we're going to be using this, it needs to be used safely, safely. And in order to use it safely, all of the point people need to be trained, right? They need to be trained how to prompt something. They need to be trained how to use the output. We just, you know, their words, we can't have these rogue teachers prompting AI and implementing what they think the output is and what that will match the student. So I think that there's a professional development gap that some of these systems are uncomfortable with right now, but that doesn't mean that it can't be filled. 
So Brian, you're working on something like that. I do think that the sooner we teach teachers, educators, administrators, people at the top, how it's how to prompt, how to appropriately prompt, make it formulaic and understand when we get output, how do we implement the output, right? And again, it's the manpower you're talking about, you know, how many tutors we're going to need and how many teachers we're going to need. Ideally, there are kids self-guiding this eventually, but I think it's about an internet safety issue. It's always about litigation. It's about, you know, the teachers are supposed to be teaching. Why, why are you using this supplemental tool, right? So, I think that it's getting a wide sweeping acceptance, seeing that this is a hopefully optimistic area to go. But honestly, it's about litigation and filling the gaps of knowledge when it comes to AI, large language models, and what their limits are, and how they should be ethically used in a public system, at least from my perspective. Thank you. Very interesting. Goes back to Bob's prediction at the start of this segment of the show about everything will be individualized and we won't need classrooms after a while, right? AR and VR. Very interesting. I want to bring in Eric's prediction I've selected from the new predictions he sent for part two, because I think this is a perfect segue, Eric, to what you're going to be talking about. And then Brian, I'll pick one from yours. Eric says, overall, I think the stress levels will be lower for professors, teachers, and administrative workers as AI will assist them with email responses, less data entry tasks, and teachers focusing more on instructing and attending to students' needs. While there could be a learning curve at first, I feel it won't take long for instructors and teachers to grasp this. Eric, talk to us. So initially, I want to actually give Karen credit for the first part of this prediction, because for the first part of our conversation back in June, she said something that really stood out to me about the email responses specifically about how we get emails as instructors, as educators at all times throughout the day for students. And I got a recent student evaluation from one of my organizational behavior classes. And one of the humorous you know, comments that I got is that Eric is terrifyingly or freakishly responsive to emails, meaning I respond to emails very, very quickly at all hours throughout the day. Yes, you get that. You get what yes. I'm talking about. That one. I know. I do, too. I get the same response. Do you sleep? People say, do exactly. you ever sleep? What? Go ahead. <laughs> So, I mean, I could, you know, simply, you know, turn off my computer. That's, you know, one option. I could simply set up an out-of-office notification. That could be number two. Or AI could assist me with, you know, sending a customized response or having a customized response sent on my behalf where I could focus on other things such as drinking coffee or actually relaxing and getting ready for the next day of teaching. So that was one that really stood out to me and I think can really help with the email specifically. Second is course preparation. That was another thing that we talked about in the first part of our conversation. As educators, we spend a lot of time prepping for class. We want the best for our students. And I found this out firsthand, you know, this summer when I was preparing for a finance class, I was reading the textbook and I thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to summarize all these complex formulas to my, you know, third year finance class? How am I going to teach this? But AI, you know, assisted kind of simplifying these things, saying, this is what's most important. This is what's not important. And it helped reduce my stress in preparing for this class instead of, you know, building all the slides from scratch. Uh, so in the administrative and emails, absolutely. And also with the course preparation, I truly believe AI is going to make our lives better, which is going to lead to us focusing more on the students, which will make their lives better. So it's a process and kind of a, almost a dominant. 
Thank you. And you know what? I'm going to jump in here with Brian's prediction, which is a nice segue. We're just, everything's just dovetailing here. So Brian says in his prediction number two for part two, he says, personal AI will allow us to be empowered with super memory. The ability for you to store your personal information and educational journey will allow the AI models to guide you to a better path to learning by knowing your strengths and your weaknesses. Brian, tell us. Well, Bonnie, fundamentally, I think that we are going to be lifelong learners. I think uh, two generations ago, you you would pick a career and you would stick with that career. I don't think we're going to have that option uh, for our children and grandchildren. So what is going to take place in an ideal world is a personal AI that absolutely knows all of the context that you have experienced, everything you've read, everything you've listened to, conversations like this, and it's a super memory system because a lot of what I think we need to do is synthesize the things that we have uh, you know, had access to and to produce something that is maybe unique or maybe a replaying of that. Um, you know, you could say that what this will in, in, in empower you with is a sort of a superpower where you would almost never forget anything. And now there is some things in life you want to forget, but most of the things having to do with your career or your educational path, it would be phenomenal to have something in your ear like an iPod uh, and uh, essentially um, allowing you to always understand what you've already seen and to draw conclusions that maybe you're not quite ready to do. And I think as the student, the students that we have today envelop themselves in AI and hopefully they take a path of having a personal AI, that context will always be theirs. It won't be up in a cloud. It won't be owned by Apple or Google or uh, OpenAI or anything like that. It'll be theirs. And then later on in life, it will help guide them into some of the better decisions that they'd be making. Thank you. And interesting about lifelong learning, we talk about people are afraid their jobs will be taken over by robots or some kind of bots, right? And then we talk about upskilling, reskilling, retraining. There is your built-in need for lifelong learning, right, Brian and everyone? We need people to say, I can learn. I can grow. I can re-educate, learn a new skill, learn to do my skill better. And on that note, I'm going to, we have about six minutes left. I'm going to bring in one more prediction from Bob because this was different than anybody else has said. I think this would be a great way to end the conversation. Bob says by 2040, so do the math, that's 17 years away, right? He says humans will develop the ability to learn generatively and will finish their doctoral level education by age 20. Whoa, talk about an interesting prediction. Bob, you wanna explain or defend this one? Go ahead. Sure. Well, it really, it's just basic math. If I said earlier that if you only touch one or two senses, the typical retention rate is in the 30th percentile. But if you touch three or more, which is what AI and VR are going to do, it jumps into the 70th percentile, which means students are going to retain more than double what they do now, which means they should comfortably be able to finish two grades a year instead of one, which means that by age 20, they should be able to complete their PhD. By 20, PhD. Interesting question is, are they mature enough to know what they wanted to do their PhD in or on? The process of PhD, picking the topic, picking the thesis, going through all of the stages, that would have to change too to finish it by 20. Danielle, I know you had a hand up here. You want to talk? 
So currently I do support students in writing their dissertations. And what I will say is it is a very long process. It is scope and sequence for something like that, develop, developing your idea, researching your idea. It, it does take a significant amount of time. And not to mention, although you may have this brilliant mind that has an idea you want to explore for your PhD and you're able to research it, not everyone has the same uh, cultural and linguistic stores of information in their brain, meaning can they string together the language uh, in an academic tone of voice to convey their, their thoughts? And honestly, a lot of them don't. So I think that AI is going to help give language to some of these dissertation writers that have the ideas, that have the creative outlet, that understand what they want to say, but don't quite have the linguistics to put it together in an academic tone. Because as time goes on, we're losing academic colloquia in writing and in speaking. And that's just kind of by nature of what's going on culturally, right? And so AI can give us back some of that specific language to write these things, but also understanding that taking in the information is the point, right? So mm -hmm. helping students absorb the information, tailoring the information, cut out a lot of that redundancy. So you're looking at, oh, eighth grade history is a repeat of 12th grade history. They learned the same subject matter. So why are we double dipping a lot of these standards? So to Bob's point, not only is it going to expedite the learning, it's going to uh, condense the learning to be more efficient. Thank you very much. And condensing the learning, we go back to Karen and the, the second and third graders who say too much homework. What if we told them they could be earning a living in a major profession by the age of 20 because we are crunching the learning process, the curve, the path using AI. I don't think, still don't think they're going to be happy missing their hip hop class, Karen. But interesting idea, if you could instill in them, there's an end goal here, but it's going to take you 12 or 14 years to get there. But your parents are going to be really happy and you can move out of their house and build yourself a mansion. We'll leave that or a rocket ship or something like that. I want to thank you all. We're just about out of time. Uh, one word. Are you optimistic about the future of education and AI? One word, yes or no? No, Bob? Absolutely. That was a yes. Karen? Absolutely. Eric? Yes. Danielle? Yes. Brian? Yes. Oh, I like that. All good yeses. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to do a part three this year, but we might have to do it in January. How's that? But you're all going to be invited on my crystal ball prediction special, <laughs> which will be six weeks. You'll come on with no prep, no quotes, and all you get is three or four minutes to give all the predictions you want on any subject you want related to AI. That's going to be it. So you'll all get to get an invitation. I want to say thank you to Andrew, our engineer at Voice America Radio, who's always so friendly. How you doing, Andrew? We want to know how you're doing too. Everybody, you know with the drill, put up your hand. We're going to, on the count of three, you're going to join me in saying no, 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 really, really loud. People say, come on, Danielle, finger up. Here we go. People say the future is already here. And our answer is one, two, three. No, 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 no. 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 Wow. That was the best ever. Wow. You're hired. I don't know what I'm paying, but you're hired. That's because that was yesterday's future or the future a nanosecond to go. We're going to try to make the future much better, aren't we all? Bonnie D signing off. Don't go away. 
Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Bye.